all of the data that you see backing, you know, great products or, or kind of the products we use every day, like a great example would be like a Google search, for example, all of that index data, you know, that's behind the search bar that returns from your search. That's where we want to be in respect to NFTs. So you go in and you type in LeBron and you see every NFT across every chain that he's associated or tagged on in metadata or, you know, what have you. And that's where really where it becomes interesting from our perspective, because then we become, you know, this huge data provider of what's powering, you know, basically Web3 and consumer applications on it. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Ryan Lambacker, who is the founder and CEO of Graffle.io, which is a venture-funded Web3 infrastructure provider for projects built on the Flow blockchain. They recently closed on close to a $4 million round. Ryan has a unique cross-section of skills that accelerated him far ahead of the competition in the world of NFTs, non-fungible tokens. First, his technical experience building product at Drips with former Lay of the Land guest AC Evans, and second, years of building hype and generating sales within his own marketing firm. This combination allowed him to see the value of NFTs and recognize the massive opportunity in solving the infrastructure layer for every single project built on blockchains. For context, the Flow blockchain, which was originally conceived by the team behind CryptoKitties and has since powered applications like NBA Top Shot and established partnerships with organizations like the UFC and Dr. Seuss, is a blockchain designed from the ground up to support consumer experiences at mainstream scale with a growing community of brands and Web3 builders leveraging its infrastructure. From entrepreneurship to flow to NFTs, we make our way down the crypto rabbit hole here and cover a wide range of topics through the lens of Graffle and the work Ryan is doing there. So please enjoy my conversation with Ryan Lambacker. I wanted to start with your background and interest in entrepreneurship, but I was thinking where actually is the best place to start. And I, I think I have to ask what has now become kind of the staple crypto question, which is what drew you down <laughs> the crypto rabbit hole? Because I know everyone has their story of, of the gravity that, that drew them down the hole. Yeah, for sure. I think the, the best way to answer this is probably to frame it around specifically NFTs, because my answer would definitely vary dramatically based on, you know, actual crypto, like uh, way back in 2013, 2014, just buying Bitcoin versus now. I think it's more relevant to explain how I got into NFTs, kind of like the subset of crypto, because purely my interest for crypto as a whole just came from kind of being around computers my whole life and understanding that digital goods or digital assets, or more specifically, digital currency could actually be, you know, worth something or hold value. So in terms of like the kind of when I found out about NFTs, I immediately got an email from NBA Top Shot, which is a product that's built on Flow that has officially licensed moments from the NBA, basically game clips like three pointers, game winners, dunks, etc. And I was kind of just poking through and thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, 
I've seen baseball cards. I've been around sports my whole life. I understand like what a highlight is and um, why that's collectible. And it kind of just clicked for me immediately. Like I can own this officially licensed clip and I'm able to actually sell it and make money to somebody else who wants to buy it potentially for more. Or I can open up packs just like I can go to my you know local Target or store and and buy sports cards. But I can do this all from the comfort of my own home and make it such a you know seamless and kind of connected experience. And I, I grew up on the internet, so it just kind of made sense. You know, digital assets made sense from that perspective. When you kind of couple your interest in in NFTs and and crypto more generally. I know you had worked prior at Drips, um, who we've had on on the podcast. It's really awesome actually seeing startups grow out of other startups here in the area and more generally have a, a past of entrepreneurship with a, a few other endeavors. So so as we get towards the the founding of of Graffle here and the work that you're doing, could you just share a little bit about you know your own your own background and, and what drew you to the world of entrepreneurship and, and startups as well? Yeah, absolutely. It really started when I understood that the the value of an item, basically, or, or of the value of somebody else's want or demand. And I think that came through just, you know, basically selling stuff on eBay. Like I started at garage sales, as cliche as it sounds, that's basically how it, how it all began is going to garage sales with my dad and kind of picking things up and just understanding or trying to guess the value of those items and seeing if it's severely underpriced so that I could go sell it on eBay to a larger market. And I think that's kind of the the beginning of the progression. Um, immediately, I kind of honed in on sneakers. It was about 2011, 2012, and shoes and reselling shoes was kind of a, a newer topic or someone that was buttoning um, because there was a lot of money to be made. And that's kind of where I kind of inserted myself because I kind of understood the culture. You know, LeBron is from Akron. There's a lot of exclusive shoes and, and retailers around that, that get all of the, the shoe drops, essentially. And that's really where, you know, it kind of formalized in my brain, like, hey, I can actually, you know, buy this thing and I can resell it. And then I can keep doing that over and over. And then I can grow my scale of how many, you know, the quantity of how many I can buy and the connections that I can make. And kind of just naturally, it kind of evolved. And Really where I landed, I think, with kind of the sneaker and, and fashion world is I actually created automation software to basically assist you in purchasing quickly from online stores. And that's mm -hmm. really where I kind of realized that productizing problems with software or technology is really where, you know, I kind of excel or like the way that I solve problems is through technology and, and something to assist that. And so as we kind of combined your interest here in entrepreneurship with NFTs through the, the lens of NBA Top Shot and just thinking about the space is helpful just to describe a little bit at a, at a high level what Graffle is, and then we can kind of work backwards from there and, and understand uh, a little bit of the, the founding story. Yeah, for sure. So at a high level, Graffle is all about data accessibility. You could kind of compare it to like a Twilio of the Web2 world in the sense that we are actually kind of the liaisons for, for this data getting to the consumer product or to the end consumer, essentially. So all of this data goes on chain. Like when you list something for sale on NBA Top Shot's peer-to-peer -peer marketplace, you're actually emitting an event to a blockchain. And we actually pick that up 
index it, and then give it to the application, send it to them, so they can actually realize, you know, in their UI or their customer on the customer end that, oh, this is actually listed for sale, and here is the price. That's at a high level, basically, what we do. Got it. And so I, I think to to fully grasp the the nature of the work that you're doing, it'll be important to maybe just to actually go a little bit down the rabbit hole and, and define some of the, the things we're talking about here. And so I'd love to, and we'll cover these kind of separately, but get a, a better understanding of, of flow, which I think is an important ingredient uh, in the work that you're doing. And, and we can talk more generally also about NFTs here. But before we, we kind of get to those you know, how, how is it that you came, what was the essentially like the founding insight um, as you think about the, the Twilio analogy of Web 2 to Web 3? Maybe just uh, a brief overview of, of how you think about what Web 3 is in, in relation to Web 2 and recognizing the, the opportunity um, and, and starting to work on this, this problem that, that Graffle has now uh, set out to solve. Yeah, for sure. I think the uh, the founding story is a great place to start there. So Dakota, concerned myself, uh, we were kind of just working on a community project, kind of like an analytics dashboard, and we decided, you know, to to point our our direction towards NBA Top Shot in 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 particular. We saw an opportunity to make money, and we also just wanted to gather insight around, you know, what are these NFTs? How does one with officially licensed IP? How does it sell? How does it move? Etc. So. We started to to dive into that process and and very quickly we actually realized a problem. And the way we kind of came to that realization was we actually integrated ourselves into the developer community of Flow, Flow the blockchain, that is. Everybody was was in the beginnings of building, you know, their own applications, their own version of Topshot, you know, whatever it may be, but they all had and shared the same problem, and that was data accessibility. And we quickly realized we could put up a managed service and kind of productize the ability for them to access their data. So we aggregate the data off chain and then we make it easy for them to go out and get that. So we open up APIs, webhooks, websockets, and those are the typical ways that developers would consume data in the Web2 world. Well, now we're just combining that and allowing them to build these super powerful, responsive consumer applications on Web3 technology. And how do you think about Web3 just from a, a, defi- a defining of terms perspective? Like what Web3 is to me or what Web3 could mean as a whole for society? Because that's definitely, I guess there's two answers to that question. Like Web3 to me is definitely what's next and we're all going to embrace it in some way. And that's one thing that I think Dapper Labs does exceptionally well is they, they understand how to onboard non-crypto native people onto a blockchain, blockchain-backed technology or product like NBA Top Shot. A lot of people don't even realize that they're actually buying NFTs or that data is on the blockchain. But then when that becomes more important and popularized and normalized, they're going to completely understand how they got to this point. So Web3 really to me is about, you know, enabling this direct ownership model while also, you know, exemplifying the fact that I can own something and sell it to anyone, anywhere at any time. Right. And so maybe also a little bit of, of context here on, on who Dapper Labs is. And then, and then we can talk a little bit about Flow, uh, which sure. I think would be great to get some context on, right? There's obviously all these different 
layer one blockchains out there, um, ones that I think folks might be more familiar with, like Ethereum or uh, maybe even Solana, um, but, but maybe just kind of frame flow in the context of some of those other ones that exist and how it is that flow came to be and, and maybe a little bit of what ultimately drew you to flow specifically relative to, to some of the options that, that you had out there. Yeah, for sure. Dapper Labs, most notably before NBA Top Shot, was known for a project called CryptoKitties, which was an exceptional product that was kind of built around the idea of NFTs and actually being able to genetically breed cats or these like cats that are represented as NFTs. Um, there's actually a really complex bit of logic behind it on how the breeding works. Um, so that's that's the way they kind of like broke onto the scene, I guess, or made their kind of like name. Moving beyond that, they obviously tacked on NBA Top Shot. They now have NFL All Day as well as UFC Strike. And Flow is it was birthed out of a problem, basically, or conceptualized out of a problem. And that problem was Ethereum couldn't handle the traffic CryptoKitties was essentially doing. So immediately at that point, they go into how do we build a blockchain that can actually support these super scalable consumer applications or like we all expect an app in our on our phone to work a certain way and be fast and responsive right well when that right. when the underlying technology of that can't support that interaction between the user then there is a need for for some new technology or one that works better and that's exactly the gap that flow filled and it's exemplified in the fact that now nba top shot is this super high volume super high transaction platform and the chain has no problems with it right and with that has come other people building on top of Flow, other applications that that leverage that that efficacy. Yeah, exactly. There's no, um, you know, there's no boundaries around who can build on Flow. There is just you know small processes in place to make sure everything is is good and well. But ultimately, anybody can build on Flow, whatever project they want. So I think I think we could talk a little bit about NFTs here, still in the kind of context setting phase, but. I think there's a lot of really interesting things going on here, but maybe just start at a, at a high level with how you think about what NFTs are. And then maybe we can talk about some of the kind of uses that have transpired over the last year from art, music, gaming, identity, and some of the, the kind of core functionality. So I think they're really kind of critical in the framing of this Web3 versus Web2 and, and the kind of ownership mechanism that, that underlies it. I tend to more think on the utility side of NFTs rather than the like visual or collectible side. And I think most notably right now in pop culture, just circulating around the internet is, is kind of the visual or collectible side. So it's very easy to start there, but I think it's better to add more context around the potential utility and the use cases that will actually impact our everyday life. And I think, you know, we all see, you know, different stars, Jimmy Fallon, you know, Paris Hilton, they all have these board ape yacht clubs and, you know, they're super expensive. They're, you know, $300,000, $400,000 just for the cheapest one. And we all look at that and we go, okay, that doesn't really make all that much sense, you know, to me or to really anyone. I completely understand the value behind them because they bring community and access, but that's not valuable to everyone. Now, what could be valuable or, you know, is the actual utility behind what what people are currently implementing, and especially on Flow. There's, there's great examples, and I think Flow is one of the leading chains on 
how can NFTs have utility in the real world as well as online for, you know, redemption or, or access to, you know, creators backlog of content or, or what have you. So giving an example is probably the best way to explain, you know, NFTs or context setting is say you own season tickets to your favorite sports team, right? And that season ticket, you can go and sell or give away certain games, you know, to your friends, or you could sell them on one of the platforms, right? That allows you to sell tickets. Well, in a Web3 world where that's actually an NFT, you could essentially split that up and have a direct peer-to-peer interaction and sale with no middleman, no royalty, and no, you know, processing. There's just one-to-one, essentially. And a lot of the marketplaces that are being built on Web3 have that same ideology where it's like, I want you to interact with only the person that's getting this on the end, who your buyer. We don't need to take any fees and we don't need to tack on all these extra process um, because it's a, it's a direct ownership model. So I'm transferring, you know, maybe one, one game out of my 120 to you. And now you directly own that and can do whatever you want with it. So you could go then and resell it. You could give it away. And that's, that's a powerful example of, of how NFTs, you know, really could be used, you know, quickly in the real world. Right. There, there does seem to be this spectrum of, of applications that kind of capture everything like, you know, the baseball cards and the collectibles to access to more of the aesthetic and like patronage component. There, there's obviously some speculation component. There's almost like a status component that's come out of it as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, it's been really interesting to see these things just in the wild over the last year. From from my perspective, one of the the areas that I've just found very interesting is the whole uh, intersection of NFTs with gaming and this general concept of like composability in how you have these assets, these NFTs that could potentially native to the internet kind of live across different environments and be applicable in different ways across those different systems in, in a way that really didn't exist uh, in games before. Exactly. It's a, the way I like to put it is every year we, we buy a new copy of Madden, right? And none, none of the progress from previous years ever gets transported or moved over, right? In a Web3 world, you just buy an update or you get free updates and then everything transfers over. And in an interconnected world, especially in this case, this, this use case or this edge case, I guess you could say, it's the same company that's you know updating things year after year. So it's very clear to see how they could implement and, and kind of transfer these assets and, and how NFTs could actually be kind of the vehicle for that. And if you think about other, you know, just to continue down the, the kind of gaming aspect of NFTs is, a lot of these studios or AAA, you know, game producers, they own a lot of different IP and they can actually now combine that together and, and have it exist in different, you know, game universes, if you will. And that's a, that's a super interesting point on, on composability and just kind of the, you know, the way that we see, you know, uh, the consumption of gaming or media, for example. Yeah. And it, and it really all does stem from this idea that, that users can now genuinely own digital objects and people can build on top of those things and in in new creative ways that that really we haven't been able to explore before exactly and i think technology is finally reaching a point where it's becoming easier and easier for people to kind of build these you know 3d or these games and you you can kind of 
see how an individual or a small group of people could actually extend, you know, their favorite game or, or add something to that, or actually pull those assets in and build their own derivative. The direct ownership model is very freeing. And it's also, you know, in the spirit of entrepreneurship, I believe, where you actually can, can take those assets and, and build a brand or, you know, build a business with them. So there's this massive proliferation of NFTs over the last year, spanning, again, art, music, gaming, identity, access, and just this kind of massive influx of people into the space who, who may not have had any exposure to the, the world of crypto before and are, are experiencing it more through this Web3 lens. And so there's, there's all this activity going on. I think it would be really interesting to hear from the perspective of Graffle Kind of like what? What was your first break? It sounds like you had identified this this problem of there. There's now all this data, but how are people interfacing with it? And so, what was kind of like the original, you know, projects that that you were working on uh, as you were forming Graffle? Yeah, we had um, immediately got a lot of outreach when we just kind of put the idea out there and, and casted our net to say, you know, hey, here's what we're thinking about doing. We already have a prototype. Who would like to? you know, sign up and potentially use like a pre-alpha access. And immediately we were rushed with, you know, 20 or 30 projects. And we selected three of them actually to kind of work very closely with and kind of understand from the beginning what a what a customer or consumer, you know, experience would look like both on their end, as well as the relationship between us and, and their kind of project. Um, and immediately the first one that comes to mind is versus.auction. And they're basically an auction platform where one side is you're bidding on the one of one. So you, so one person is bidding to own only one of them versus 10 people building bidding on an addition. And I thought it was a really cool concept where it's like one versus many, essentially in like a bidding war. So like imagine eBay, but instead of just one person bidding and winning the auction, there's another side where 10 people can combine together to beat that one person and they each get one of the objects. So that's... That's basically the premise of their business. And they became very interesting to us because they're what's called a SOTA, which is a serverless on-chain data distributed application, which basically means in a very long-winded technical way that they don't have a backend or a database. So all of their data lives on-chain and they query the chain for that. And quickly, mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of problems arise in terms of like the user experience and how quickly things were happening because these executions to go find the data on-chain isn't, quick by any means. So we immediately plugged in with them and they were able to basically swap out all of this infrastructure that was taking 30, 45 seconds to a minute to, to bring back, you know, simple results. You know, we're under, you know, 100, 200 milliseconds um, using Graffle. So they built this beautiful customer or, you know, the customer experience and, and you know, it was basically kneecapped by how poor the performance was of their site. And we came in and, and, you know, worked very closely with them and got them all up to speed. And, you know, it's been a success ever since. And that was really like the first major break where Dakota and myself saw like, wow, you know, this actually works. People are using it. And it's extremely helpful because everyone is going to reach this point where it's either through scale or just technical barriers that they can't continue using these patterns. And and that's kind of the entry point for Graffle. And, as we continue to go down that kind of that path, we realize that the scalability part is huge because when an enterprise mm-hmm. you know company comes on or or an enterprise level IP or brand comes on chain, 
they're going to have a lot of fans and followers that want to consume it. And that means a lot of traffic and a lot of traffic expecting a certain level of performance. And that's really where we find a lot of, of requests. And it's, it got very interesting quickly because now the biggest projects on Flow are coming to us and saying, hey, we need to solve this problem and we need to solve it at scale. That's really the kind of aha moment um, and where we began our, our fundraising journey. And as you have continued to build, I'm curious from, from like a product vision perspective, were you able to kind of formulate like looking back in retrospect, you know, a little bit further down the line, where you see Graffle in the future? Or is the immediate future determined by this kind of influx of requests that you have right now for, for kind of feature development? Um, no, we, we knew kind of where, where the next steps were. We always knew what the next right step was. Um, and I think that was just based on the fact that we did have this you know, kind of connection and to see what people were building or the problems that they, that they were going to potentially face. Um, we kind of understood that just by processing and having the data ourselves and and looking into that um, on the top shot side. So immediately the V1 of our product came out and we've onboarded over 70 people to date. And I think we have another 30 people right at the top of the pipeline, just getting ready to, to be onboarded. Sorry, we have 30 people who are ready to be onboarded, 70 people who are actually using Graffle and about 400 people at the top of the funnel. So yeah, we we kind of expanded from there and we took user feedback as everyone does but we understood that the having the full scope of the data or just being able to access all of your data is the answer so that's that's essentially where our v2 and the direction of that has gone we actually switched over from more of a uh, subscription to a kind of like we have everything just tell us what you need so the current v1 essentially works you come to our site you make a project and then you make a setting that tracks one event from your smart contract and all that does is basically aggregates that singular event. So you're telling us from that point on, you want to know any time that this event is emitted on chain. Where we're currently moving and what's very close to coming out in beta is our V2, which is a full relational graphing of mainnet, which is basically Flow blockchain's mainnet. And, and essentially what that has is we're establishing relationships between smart contracts, users, users to another user, as well as how those you know, transactions kind of go through the chain or how, how an object or an NFT actually passes through the chain and through different wallets. That's kind of where we're at currently. Can you kind of take us through the life cycle, maybe using an example of a, of a consumer application leveraging Graffle today of, of what that looks like in, in practice? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I can also kind of explain what the V2 would look like just because we do have internally projects built on that and using that technology right now. So we have a great understanding of, of what kind of doors that opens. But currently in, in the V1 scenario, you're going to sign up and you're, gonna, you're essentially going to make a project. And that project holds what we call event indexer settings. And simply put, those indexer settings map to an event from your smart contract. A smart contract event is essentially the functionality of what happens on chain to an object when that function is called. So let's say it's transfer or withdrawal. Let's use withdrawal from example, for example. It's going, that withdrawal function is going to hold all of the logic to move an NFT from one wallet to another. So when you're calling this on chain, you're basically saying, hey, my smart contract has a withdrawal function. I'm calling that. 
and this is where it needs to go. So now we have this event that fires and we have the wallets to and from inside that. That's essentially the data that's typically in there. And mm -hmm. we have a, a record of that on chain. Well, now what Graffle does is you say, hey, I want to subscribe. Anytime a withdrawal happens, you aggregate that for me and you can either we can either push it to you so you can sort your own database or we can store it for you and give it access, give you access via our search API. And what that allows is now you essentially, you have a decentralized application that's running on a blockchain or all of your data is on a blockchain. And now you can actually index and aggregate that and use it in a very scalable and performant way. So you know when party A transfers an NFT to party B. And without our, our solution, essentially, you would have to build very complex and scalable infrastructure that actually tracks those events on chain. So as this robust middle layer for these applications on, on Flow, how is it that Graffle actually makes money from a business perspective? Yeah, for sure. Um, compute usage is probably the easiest way to, to start the monetization conversation. Um, at this current point, uh, we've taken $3.8 million in funding from some very strategic partners on the chain or associated with the chain, I should say. And our current focus is just on growth and adoption. Growth and adoption of the larger flow ecosystem or just getting more folks to, to leverage Graffle? Correct. In, yeah. When just you, when you talk about the strategic partnerships, I guess how how like macro has that has that scope become? Yeah, it has become very macro. I mean, Dapper Labs themselves, via their their venture fund called Baller VC, actually participated in our round as well as Animoca Brands, and then finally we were led by the accelerator that's associated with Flow called AppWorks. It's a VC based out of Taiwan. And they're very interested in the growth of both the ecosystem as well as Graffle's user base. So by virtue of, of both of those things being mutually beneficial, all we have to do essentially is, is grow our adoption, which also trickles you know, to the adoption of the chain and, and more projects being launched on it. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about the, the fundraising process. From, from my perspective, I think it's it's pretty awesome the round that you were able to, to pull together in the space that you're doing it. And I, I think it just stands in a little bit of contrast, actually, to, to some of the rounds I'm used to seeing in, in the Northeast Ohio area. And just you know, kind of tell us how, how it is that you went about it and, and kind of the story that, that you told. Yeah, so we were, we were mostly inbounded based on interest that was, that was generated through Dapper Labs and Flow kind of talking about us, you know, in their circle of, of investors, as well as kind of the ecosystem broader as a whole. We, we were inbounded and, and took these meetings. Um, we had the intention of raising three or four million uh, after kind of understanding how our product fit. And as we continue to, to gain more users, it just made all the sense in the world to kind of double down on our relationship with Dapper and, and utilize, you know, their connections. And uh, from there, it was, it was actually pretty easy. One of the first meetings we took ended up being our lead. We had many other conversations and it just, to us, it made all the sense in the world to go with AppWorks. They're the accelerator on flow and they, they basically incubate a lot of projects. And that also is beneficial for us because those then become use cases or users of Graffle as well. So a, a few questions I have here, just kind of about the, the space more generally. And in particular, how you are thinking about the the future, you know, beyond V two, you know, version X of of what it is that that you'll be building. 
how extensible is kind of the nature of what you've built for flow to potentially other blockchains out there? And is that something you think about or are there competitors? I'm just trying to understand a little bit of the market dynamics um, for sure. and how you think about the, the players in the space and the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. I think the best way to put that simply is flow is our zero to one. So it's it's where we kind of understand and and grow this process, and then we start horizontal expansion. Um, that's currently kind of where we're at in the thought process, as well as our our next fundraising round, which has you know got underway. Those discussions have started to happen. I can't necessarily share it with who, but we are you know getting inbounded by certain blockchains to actually take our solution and kind of build it over there, and they want to you know participate or or potentially even lead around for us. So. It's getting very interesting from that perspective where we, we went from zero to one and we grabbed, you know, the majority, the vast majority of projects building on flow. And now we're kind of translating that at, that expertise and, and getting ready and gearing up to actually expand to another chain. So, so the problem you have unearthed and, and, and kind of built on top of highly extensible to, to the other systems that are out there. Yeah, they're all unique and, and dynamic in their own way. And I think the next one we choose will also have kind of a uniqueness around it as well. The next blockchain we choose, that is. So there will be new problems, but ultimately, yes, a lot of our system and the scalability portion of it will always you know, be there and kind of stay the same. It's just a matter of us accessing the data and then you know, kind of normalizing it in the graphical system. And so how do you then think about, about competition in the space? Yeah, are there competing middle layers on on flow? How how does that how does that work? I mean, there's a lot of middle layers for Ethereum, for example, and that's a pretty, you know, well built out ecosystem of developer tools and middle layers. On flow, there's really no competition at this point. Uh, there's definitely inklings of of big providers on different chains coming over, but at, at this current point, we capture, you know, the vast majority of all projects being built on flow you know, all the way through and through. So there's definitely a competition and there's definitely more competition when you talk about horizontal expansion, depending on the way we want to go. So if we go to an EVM-based chain, we immediately, you know, incur a bunch of, of direct competition. If we go to something like Solana, for example, we have a much, uh, you know, a much less dense, I guess you could say, uh, playing field. When you think about the, the potential avenues you have to expand going forward, what are some of the like variables you're considering when you think about different chains that you could potentially expand to? Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely an emphasis on NFTs. Any chain that's mm. you know currently spinning up projects around non fungible tokens is important to us, you know, because that's the initial draw to flow, and I think that's where a lot of the interesting problems kind of stem from. I don't really want to get into the can we make it faster or cheaper in the sense of like DeFi and and basically utilities or or um sorry infrastructure that supports them. You know their their kind of game is performance and and cost reduction, right? With NFTs, there's a whole new set of problems, and there's another set of problems people haven't even discovered yet. And that's really what's interesting to me is kind of the unknown, and then also solving complex problems in an elegant way that really enables these consumer applications to leverage this new technology. What, what are you kind of most excited about with the round closed um, and some runway in front of you in terms of the opportunities that you have and potentially some of the, the projects that are, are leveraging Graffle? 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's more of a of a question that's actually pertinent to Ohio and just um, making this homegrown. Dakota and myself are are from here, born and raised, and we both think it's very important to retain talent in Ohio. And you know, we're looking to hire the best engineers, and we're really in the the hiring and ramp up mode right now. And we feel it's really important to pay people, you know, what they're worth. We don't want people escaping Ohio to go to work at you know, companies on the East or West Coast, you know, we want people and developers and good talent to stay here and build with us. And I think that's the most exciting part is we raise money to be able to basically build this here, have a footprint in Ohio. And uh, yeah, that's, that's probably the most exciting part. Yeah, that's, that's very exciting for sure. I think it's actually a good segue maybe to talk about the business itself as an organization. You know, what, what does that actually look like? And how are, how are you kind of operating Graffle as a, as a company? Sure. So yeah, I operate as the CEO and Dakota and myself are both the original founders. Dakota operates as the CTO. Um, then we have two late stage co-founders, Andrew and Tomas. Andrew's in LA, Tomas is in Montana, but primarily the, the entirety of the operation is actually here in Ohio. So our engineering team, um, as well as our biz dev, all in Ohio. And that's, uh, you know, currently kind of where we're at. Like we have uh, some people on the biz dev front, we have a growing engineering team that grows, it seems like every day. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's the current position. Right on. So having been in the, the broader crypto space for a little bit um, myself, I think the, the thing that I am very curious your perspective on is there is this persistent, I think kind of skepticism of utility in the network. And I think it's increasingly becoming hard to, to say that there isn't utility when you just even look specifically at NFTs. But from a, a risk perspective, I am curious how you think about risk in, in the Web3 world um, and some of the things that you know, maybe keep you up at night with regards to the, the work that you're doing and, and things that, that could challenge the business. Sure. I mean... The beautiful thing about us is we're use case agnostic. So if someone's leveraging NFTs in any way possible, whether it's collectibles, utility-based, or otherwise, we can support them. And, and I think that's really where we kind of you know, trade off risk in the sense that we're infrastructure. Everybody is going to need us and everybody's going to come to us when they have a problem. And, and that's really where we've kind of de-risked or position ourselves in the, the sense of kind of Web3 as a whole. And I think in general, like we will definitely see, you know, kind of the swings or the ups and downs of, of NFTs or kind of this, this new technology, but it's really going to be the people in, in two to three years from now that are going to be the winners who stuck it out. And, um, you know, we're able to kind of go heads down and build. I know, especially right now, you know, we're at the kind of the end of the first month of 2022 and the markets are all down. That's not nothing we look at besides for personal portfolios we're heads down building just like we would be if they were at all time highs. And on maybe the more optimistic side of that question, when you think about the future of NFTs, what is the vision that's in your head for, for the implication of, of what these can become? I mean, I think they're going to be every, they're going to encapsulate some portion of every part of our lives from verification to identity, to collectibles, to, utility. I mean, they're, they're going to be used as passes to get into games. They're going to be used as, you know, passports 
there, we're already seeing all sorts of these kind of companies pop up to, to implement or to test this type of technology. And I think really we're going to start to see some winners arise, you know, very quickly. And, and those use cases will be implemented into our daily lives, you know, whether we know it or not. And I think it's important to understand that, you know, kind of paving the way now and, and having this kind of infrastructure, you know, it's going to allow applications and, and kind of the bigger ideas to focus on, on executing that rather than the, the you know, the, the technical ability of, of trying to aggregate this data or, you know, kind of what we solve. And, um, you know, that's how we feel. We're enablers to kind of pushing forward this, this you know, Web3 and this new wave of, of technology. Yeah, I know it's, it's in, incredibly exciting. And in the same way, I think you're thinking about the impact that you hope to have, particularly here in, in the Northeast Ohio area. I think it's, it's just really cool that, that you guys are here and, and doing it here. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, probably the, the most important thing to, to us. And we also found two, you know, co-founders that, that felt exactly the, the same way, you know, they supported us and they understand, you know, kind of the positioning and, and how we want to go about this. And that's super important because it is, it is kind of a, you know, a unicorn in the sense of Ohio where we don't really have many of these. That makes it super attractive to be here and to be one of them. Yeah. And by these, for me, I mean specifically, you know, like a Web3 first company. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. We have yeah. plenty of startups in Ohio, Cleveland, Akron, Columbus, Cincinnati. But yeah, Web3 startups, few and far between um, in the Northeast, you know, Ohio or just greater Ohio region. Yeah. Why, why do you think there isn't the, the crypto literacy and, and Web3 affinity here that, that we see it? on you know in, in SF for example. I feel like the in particular the this like there's always been some rift between startups here in in in, in Ohio and those on the coast. But I, I feel like it's almost amplified a little bit when it comes to Web3 and, and crypto. I mean it's a new technology that not everyone is ready to adopt. I mean even the thought of crypto, you know, to a lot of people just all around the United States is is foreign. So I think when you add that in and the fact that, you know, there's all these new technologies and, and um, challenges that come along with that, it definitely shies away people from kind of exploring that. But that's really where, you know, Dakota and myself embrace it. And, uh, you know, we want to uplift other people and, and get people exposed to this world and, and show them, you know, how great it is and, and how interesting of, of problems it actually has. Has it, has it been a particularly difficult challenge on the recruiting side? We started to kind of go through that at first, but it, uh, we kind of changed our approach. And once we started attracting, you know, the right kind of people who are interested in the crypto space, they immediately, you know, the chemistry and just their willingness to learn and kind of their demeanor, they all have fallen into the same category of, you know, wow, these are people we want to hire. So once we kind of try to change around you know, who we were trying to attract, we immediately started finding all the right candidates. So it's been very fruitful for the last month, um, the amount of interviews and just quality conversations we've had. So definitely in Northeast Ohio, you know, crypto is definitely starting to button in the sense of awareness or that it's a new technology that's going to be worked on and, and built here. Yeah, I want to maybe kind of bookend the conversation with some reflections and, and learnings that that you've had over uh, your time building Graffle so far? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely been a, a humbling experience, you know, to to have two 
you know, we're really, sorry, three great founders to, to support me in, in the ways that, you know, I can't fill all the gaps and I can't do everything. And I think that's probably the, the biggest realization I've had personally is, you know, what I'm good at or, or where I can put my, my effort and, uh, you know, kind of the skills I've accumulated over the years and, and allowing people to do what they're good at and, and kind of uplifting them in that way. So all of my kind of learnings have come from a, a leadership standpoint, but also just the interaction between, you know, raising funds and, and what that looks like for a business, you know, has been incredibly interesting and, and fruitful for us. Like I said, we just closed a $3.8 million round and we have a very large Series A already in discussion. And we closed our, for context, we closed our um, seed round October 31st of 2021. Yeah, no, it's it's an incredible trajectory. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out there um, <laughs> just to kind of see what, see what you're thinking about. But what do you view as kind of the end game for, for Graffle? All of the data that you see backing, you know, great products or, or kind of the products we use every day, like a great example would be like a Google search, for example, all of that index data, you know, that's behind the search bar that returns from your search. That's where we want to be in respect to NFTs. So you go in and you type in LeBron and you see every NFT across every chain that he's associated or tagged on in metadata or, you know, what have you. And that's where really where it becomes interesting from our perspective, because then we become, you know, this huge data provider of what's powering, you know, basically Web3 and consumer applications on it. It's an ambitious vision in it, but it, I think it, it makes a lot of sense in the context of, of what NFTs are becoming. I, I feel like, and this is just my observation from, from afar in the space, but we've had to like reinvent some of the same technologies that we had to build the first time around for the internet and we're like rediscovering their their usefulness in in the in the world of of crypto exactly exactly <laughs> and it it took some it took people kind of running up against the problems again to be like oh yeah we need to we need infrastructure we we need to figure out how to make this work at scale exactly and that's uh that's where infrastructure comes in because it's the enabler you know apps always beget infrastructure essentially yeah so i'll i'll close it out with um question that we we ask everyone on the on the podcast which as we're we're painting kind of a, a collective collage here of not necessarily people's favorite things in in the northeast ohio area but for hidden gems things that other folks may not necessarily know about and so with that i will ask you for your favorite hidden gems in the area yeah, I would definitely say I have one that pops to the top of my mind, and that's North Hill Donuts. Um, it's down there on Talmadge Avenue, and uh, it used to be a Dunkin' Donuts, and they didn't conform to kind of the, the franchise standards, and they've been running ever <laughs> since as North Hill Donuts, and they're incredible. North Hill Donuts. Excellent. <laughs> I'll have to add that one to the list. Yeah, it's great. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing your story. Again, genuinely, I'm I'm really excited about having you guys in the area and and seeing all the progress that you're making. It's I think hopefully an example for for how others can can do it. And yeah, wishing wishing you all the best in your, in your journey here. Yeah, much appreciated. Thank you for having me on the show. And just as a closing comment too, is it's fully our intention to code and myself to to help mentor and and you know offer any sort of advisement we can to to people looking to get into the Web three space in the the Northeast Ohio area. So. Uh, we definitely want to accept those people with open arms and, you know, potentially hire them or just help them out on their project and 
help them avoid pitfalls that we've seen. And, you know, we work with a lot of projects, so we would love to share the insight, especially locally. Yeah, absolutely. If if folks had anything they wanted to follow up with you about with regards to that or, or otherwise, what is the, the best way for them to do so? Yeah, info at graffle.io would be the best way to, uh, to get a hold of us. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Yeah, much appreciated. Thanks again. Have a good one. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.